The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we talk to Ricky McLean, PE and SE, who is the Senior Technical Director at Tallwood Woodworks. Ricky will be talking to us about mass timber, what it is, some of the common pitfalls for mass timber projects, and how structural engineers play a significant role in setting a mass timber project up for success and more interesting points on mass timber. I'm your co-host, Alexis Clark. I work in Hilti's North American headquarters as the product manager of our chemical anchoring portfolio in the U.S. and Canada. I'm a licensed professional engineer in Texas. I received my bachelor's in civil engineering from UT Austin, and I'm currently an MBA student at Auburn. Before we introduce our guest, the Structural Engineering Channel is a free show. And our sponsors help us to keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. Now we would like to recognize our sponsors for this episode. Firstly, Aero Aggregates of North America. Aero Aggregates is the first vertically integrated manufacturer of ultra lightweight foamed glass aggregate in the North America made from 100% recycled glass. This sustainable aggregate has bulk densities that are 80 to 90% lower than traditional fill, is free draining and non-reactive, and has a high friction angle. If your project site is challenged by resiliency concerns, raising grades over soft soils, sensitive utilities or structures, or the need to reduce lateral loads, foam glass aggregate can often accelerate construction, reduce project costs, and offer green credits for LEED and Envision programs. Visit www.aeroaggregates.com to learn more about this unique construction material. That's www.aeroaggreg. A-T-E-S dot com. Now I'd like to recognize our other sponsor, SkySiv. SkySiv offers a range of powerful, easy-to-use structural analysis and design software that is 100% on the cloud. A core focus of SkySiv is their structural analysis and design API, which lets engineers access all of SkySiv's technology directly. Build your own tools and software around the SkySiv functions to design faster and easier. Being entirely on the cloud, the SkySiv API can run from any device, meaning no installation or licensing issues. The SkySiv API lets you directly access features such as model generation, structural analysis, member design, concrete design, wind load calculations, and much more from any of your own programs or tools. With just a few lines of code, you can easily automate parts of your design workflow. Are you an innovative engineer looking to improve your team's efficiency or automate repetitive design tasks? If so, SkySiv API can give your team the tools they need. Get started today at www.skysiv.com EMI. That's www.skysiv.com backslash EMI. And now I would like to introduce our guest for this episode. Ricky is Woodwork's in-house expert on tall wood buildings, providing analysis and guidance on architectural, fire and life safety, and structural design topics related to tall mass timber projects. 
He supports the AEC community both directly and collaboratively with Woodworks regional directors and guides the development of education and resources related to tall wood buildings in the U.S. Prior to this emphasis, Ricky's role encompassed all building types and wood systems. He also has extensive experience in lead engineering roles related to structural design, project management, and construction administration. Ricky is very active as a member of numerous committees and councils related to building design and is the executive director of the Structural Engineers Association of Vermont. Now, let's jump into our conversation with Ricky. Ricky, welcome to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. So much for having me today. I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your personal career journey and what it is you do today on a daily basis at Woodworks? I have been practicing structural engineering for about 12 years now. I graduated from the University of Maine in 2008 and moved to Vermont right after that. I worked for a small civil and structural engineering consulting firm in Vermont for about six and a half years or so. Projects worked on there ranged anything from high-end luxury single-family homes up through four or five-story projects. Some of them are higher ed, some multifamily, some institutional. Didn't really have a focus on any one material or project type at that time. But now I've been with Woodworks for about six years. And so what I do with Woodworks now is focus on providing free assistance, free resources to the design community. So my role in that is helping specifically on tall mass timber projects. So some code changes are coming that allow wood buildings that are much taller than previously allowed. So my focus right now is on helping architects and structural engineers working on those tall mass timber projects. So it could be anything from helping them with, you know, structural details through code compliance, fire ratings, acoustics, kind of running the gamut of the different ways that we can assist on projects. And I also do a lot of our educational content, whether that's putting educational pieces together that our field team gives or doing presentations myself. So kind of in a nutshell, that's that's what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. For our listeners that aren't too familiar with Mass Timber, can you tell them just a quick intro if they haven't been too familiar with it? Mass Timber is what I would call an umbrella term. So It encompasses a large number of individual products. I would say the one product that probably most people are familiar with, or at least gets the most use right now, is CLT, which stands for cross-laminated timber. One of the unique things with really with all or most mass timber products is that it's usually very similar to what I would call heavy timber construction, where you know you see the old mill buildings where you had large, you know, 10 by 10, 12 by 12 columns, large beams usually plank decking. But the unique thing with those materials is each of those large columns and beams had to come from one singular log or tree. So the old adage was large column, large tree, where with mass timber, you're still creating these large cross sections of wood, but you're doing so by combining together a number of smaller individual pieces of wood and either laminating together with adhesives or nails or screws. So for example, cross laminated timber is simply taking usually two by dimensional lumber. Each layer is those two bys are laid flat on their wide face, but the, the layers adjacent to each other are alternating 90 degrees and just a layer of adhesive goes between them and attaches them together. So you're having odd number of ply panels, three, five, seven ply panels, 
that could be anywhere from four to 10, 12, 15 inches thick. And then the panel dimensions could be eight, 10, 12 feet wide, 40 to 60 feet long. In essence, it's, it's kind of combining what we used to do with heavy timber construction with what something like you know, precast concrete is doing where you're manufacturing planks or panels off site, bringing them to the construction site. So again, CLT is just one of many mass timber products. Glue laminated timber is very common, nail laminated timber, dowel laminated timber. There's even mass timber, you know, LSL, LVL panels. It's an umbrella term that encompasses a large number of products, but most of these products are using small dimensional lumber combined together to create a larger cross-section or larger, thicker panel. When I looked at it, I know there's different types of systems, but I always thought it was like, you know, with concrete, you have slabs, but with wood, you can make slabs out of, you know, CLT and these different types of uh, configurations. And so for me, I always thought of it as concrete, but kind of the look of it, but now you're spanning slabs and you have big columns and it's almost, you can kind of get that concrete feel or that concrete configuration where you have uh, pretty long spans. Now you're just making it out of wood. That's the way I always thought of it. So it's always a cool for me to look at that because now it just opens up a whole bunch of other things that we can get into. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, as we go through the conversation, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it is really one of the first new structural products or structural materials that as structural engineers, we've had in our tool belt to work with in a very long time, right? We've been using steel deck, cast in place concrete, precast masonry, light frame wood construction, trusses, you know, those things for, for years and years and years. But we really haven't had a new, completely new structural product to work with. So obviously there's a learning curve involved there, but there's also some, some opportunity for innovation and, and allowing us as, as engineers to really have a significant impact on how we can shape a mass timber project. Why are we seeing this surgence of mass timber in the marketplace and why is it so relevant to structures in the U.S. now? I know I've seen several articles come up recently that show, you know, different case studies that we can look at in Austria or even the Middle East. Why has it been so slow to adapt here and to be adopted by engineers or the building marketplace? And why now? What's going on that, that we should be paying attention to? Well, maybe to to tie some history or context to it. So mass timber, and again, maybe I'm talking specifically about CLT at this point, was first introduced in terms of building construction about 30 years ago in Europe, has been used, as you mentioned, pretty extensively internationally for the past two to three decades. It's really been in the past decade, maybe 12 years, that it's been used in the United States. And even within that, it's really just been the past uh, six to seven years or so that it's been used much more frequently here in the U.S. Uh, for example, we Woodworks tracks the number of projects, mass timber projects in the U.S. And if you go back to 2013, there were about 20, 20 mass timber projects in the U.S. Right now, we're hovering right around 1,000 projects. Um, and those are projects that are complete in construction and in design. So even just over the past seven years, the number has grown significantly. Now, if you kind of look at that in the context of how many total projects are actually being done in the U.S. per year. We're still on the lower end of the spectrum, but just the growth over the past seven years, I think really indicates what the future could hold. And as far as to answer a question like, why is that happening here in the U.S.? I think it's really been this interesting confluence of several factors. One of them is just the fact that as the global population and the U.S. population continues to grow, Not only is that happening, we have to provide obviously houses and workplaces and 
fitness centers and all those things for people to go to and to live in, we're seeing a significant shift to more urban occupancy where people are moving to the cities. Now, well, it's kind of yet to be seen what's going to happen to that after you know what's going on with COVID. But in general, there has been this significant trend of people moving to cities. So that's kind of one factor. The other factor is the fact that, you know, as the design building design professionals, we've started to recognize that we have a very significant role in the environmental responsibility and sustainability of the buildings that we're designing and how the decisions that we make can have a significant impact on how these buildings turn out. For a long time, that emphasis and focus was on energy efficiency, for example. You know, so renovating existing buildings with more insulation, better glazing, those types of things was a focus for a while. And now there's a significant focus and emphasis on, well, what is the actual embodied carbon of the materials that we're using? And of course, a structure, the structural elements in a building make up a huge part of that piece of the carbon pie. People look at, at mass timber or wood construction as, as one way, not the only, but one way to potentially reduce the carbon impact of construction materials. So it's kind of those two factors playing in. We need more construction. We need more urban construction, more urban density, but we need to do so in a more sustainable manner. How can our structural materials do that? So those two factors have kind of been playing along. And then, of course, as I mentioned, you know, about 10, 12 years ago, we've had this introduction of CLT, of mass timber, into the U.S. from Europe. So it's really been those three factors coming together that has really started this movement or this revolution. As far as why people are doing it going forward, it's really just been a project-by-project basis. Some projects are very interested in the sustainability aspects. Other projects are very interested in the aesthetics. You know, a mass timber building is is usually exposed, and in a lot of cases fully exposed, So people are very interested in seeing that look and that feel of a mass timber structure. And there are some other factors as well, speed of construction, weight of structure, mass of structure. It is really each individual project is a one-by-one basis, but hopefully that provides some context as to what's been the introduction for mass timber into the U.S. Ricky, thank you so much for that really fantastic and thorough explanation of why we're seeing uh, mass timber become a much more recognized and I'd say approachable base material than we're used to working with. And I appreciate the history on, on kind of how it got here and why we have these benefits. You shared these really great reasons of why we want to consider wood as the primary base material for a structure. Can you kind of walk me through, you know, I know we have a lot of listeners uh, who are probably thinking, how do I start to work with this new material if I haven't before? How would you suggest a structural engineer promote the use of mass timber to their clients, whether that's the architect or the developer themselves? It really comes down to a couple of things, but the biggest to me is understanding the material and understanding going beyond just those benefits that we just talked about, but for a, a given project, why could it potentially be of use to that project? Again, as I mentioned, you know, there are a number of whys, and that's one thing that I really try to emphasize When somebody first reaches out to us and says, you know, we're thinking about using mass timber for this project, one of my first questions is why? Not in any way to try to dissuade them from doing that, but to make sure that they understand from day one, what is it about mass timber that is attractive to you for this specific project? Is it, you know, the fact that you're in a tight urban site and on-site labor is through the roof and you want to try to speed up construction to cut down on your construction costs? Okay, if that's the case, then Let's approach this project from the most speed of construction perspective. 
Is it instead because you're really in tune to the environmental impacts of the project? Then let's focus on that and make sure that you're going through all of the steps you need in order to document how the materials are getting to site, where they're coming from, those types of things. In a nutshell, I would say, number one, make sure that you're understanding the client's focus or reason for looking at mass timber and be able to speak to those number of different reasons. And I think that's important because if you just go into a project meeting and you as the structural engineer say, hey, you know, I think mass timber might be a good fit here, but if you're always using the same reason why, a lot of projects that's not gonna be applicable. So understand the product, understand some potential benefits and how those can vary from one project to the next. Structural engineers have a very significant role in mass timber projects. I think really more so than on most other project types. And a lot of that is because a mass timber project is, in my opinion, necessarily a very collaborative design approach. It is not an architect does their work in a silo, an engineer does, does their work in a silo, and same thing with a mechanical engineer. It really does take, you know, looking at all three of those design professions together, because, you know, how you as the structural engineer lay out your structural grid, where your columns and beams go, that has an impact on where does the mechanical route we're not doing drop ceilings in mass timber buildings, generally speaking. So we're not trying to hide the mechanical. We're actually showing it off as well as showing off the structure. So how do you route the MEP so that it's not large ducts passing through your beams and your beams have to get that much larger? So putting a lot of thought very early on in the design process to know that, okay, if I make this decision with my structural grid, that's going to have an impact on the mechanical layout and the sprinkler layout and the lighting layout. And that's going to have an impact on the architect's desire for more daylight penetration from the exterior of the building, depending on how deep my structure is, what my floor-to-floor height is. Again, understanding the materials, and I think we'll talk about that more in a second as far as what can go wrong with a mass timber project, but understanding the materials, how they work, why they work the way they do, and what some of those potential benefits are for each individual project, I think really sets structural engineers up well to have a very significant role in a mass timber building and really showcase their expertise. So for engineers, you know, that are just getting into mass timber, what are some of the common pitfalls that you commonly see when doing a a mass timber project? One of the biggest ones is understanding that mass timber is not a commodity product. And what I mean by that is if we think about, for example, a structural steel, let's say you're designing a structural steel building. You can specify as the structural engineer, you know, we need a W14 by 26 beam here. It doesn't really matter to you who's supplying that beam, where it's coming from in terms of its structural properties, right? Because you know, it's, it's documented what the structural properties, what the stiffness of that beam is, what the bending stress, allowable bending stress of that beam is. Whereas with mass timber, that's not quite the case. You know, each mass timber manufacturer could be using a slightly different species of wood or grade of wood or thickness of wood where laminations are relative to each other in terms of uh, glue lamb beam and varying the lamination strengths in that depth of beam or within a CLT uh, floor panel. Understanding that it's not a commodity product and really what that means is working with manufacturers, understanding the manufacturer's capabilities, knowing what species they're using, knowing what that means for panel properties, even something like aesthetics. You know, we've heard from some designers and some building owners that the tint or the coloring of the wood that they're going for may be preferable to them, one manufacturer versus another. So understand what's out there for the supply chain, understand the supply chain and the capabilities of each individual manufacturer. 
The second thing that I would say is, and sort of because of those things, understanding the manufacturer's capabilities from a, an efficiency perspective. And this really comes down to often how you lay out a structural grid. I mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago, kind of the, the range of sizes of say CLT panels or NLT or DLT panels available. Because of that, you don't wanna design a grid that is inefficient for a given manufacturer. Let's just take one example. Let's say we're gonna be working with a manufacturer that can produce panels up to 48 feet long, let's say. It would be pretty inefficient to design your structural grid on a 25 or 26 foot base spacing because you can't quite get two bays out of that panel. Now you're gonna to have to cut off a lot of waste for that panel. It'd be much more efficient if you could go with 24 foot base spacing. And now you basically have two full bays and you're not wasting any of the panel. The manufacturer produces full 48 foot long panels. And same thing goes for the width of the panel. Again, if you're on a 24 foot grid, it would be very efficient to design based on an eight foot wide panel. But if that manufacturer makes a nine foot wide panel, you know, so you can kind of see how these things go into cost efficiency. It's not to say that you can't get those things to work if you're not designing to the most efficiency in terms of the manufacturer, but it's generally going to either increase waste and or increase the cost of those individual products. So understanding the material in terms of its structural capabilities, but also understanding the capabilities of a given manufacturer in terms of what size of elements they're producing. What you're saying is that we should be better about understanding unitized sizes that a specific manufacturer or different manufacturers produce and maybe selecting early on in the process and in the project, the manufacturer that has readily available efficient materials that meet those same, for example, you you keep mentioning either material color or the actual dimensions that would be most cohesive with the project. Am I understanding that correctly? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that if you can, and some projects can't because they require, say, a public bidding process, but if a project can, I would say it is definitely beneficial to select and work with one manufacturer from very early on in the design process. Is there a resource or how do engineers get to know what different product manufacturers each create? You know, is there an easy resource or is it just, you know, kind of learn as you go and and self-research? And second question would be, do you think that this need to partner earlier with the right manufacturer is going to change the project timeline and scheduling that a structural engineer will have to go through to complete a mass timber project successfully? So first question, maybe to put in a shameless plug for Woodworks. We love shameless plugs. Go for it. So as far as like, you know, how can an engineer know what each manufacturer is producing? So right now, all of the North American and some European CLT producers and glue lamp producers, DLT producers are partners of ours. So we have a great really network of connections. So if you reach out to us, we can connect you with them. So I would say, you know, number one, just reach out to all of them. The list isn't so large that it's not possible to reach out to each individual manufacturer, get to know them, get to know their products. Because of the certification process that the building code requires for their products, they all have third-party evaluation uh, reports and letters and those types of things. And those are all readily available online. You can find those as well. We can direct you to them. So that is another way to kind of get to know who they are, what they produce. And then as far as does it affect how, like the timeline of the project and how the engineer is involved, I would say that in general, a mass timber project from start to finish, from start of design to finish of construction has the possibility of of being a quicker process. Now, 
the construction phase is very likely going to be quicker. You know, we've heard many project teams say that can be about 25% quicker than other traditional building materials. You might need to spend a little bit more time in design, more so if it's just maybe your first time doing a mass timber project. Because again, this is a collaborative design process. You're working, like I said earlier, with architect and mechanical engineer. You're also, if you have selected a manufacturer, you're working with them because ultimately what they need to do is they're creating a model that is fed into their manufacturing process, a building model, so that each individual piece of timber that gets out to site eventually is manufactured for a specific location on the project. So holes, notches, cuts, everything is done in the factory. By the time you get to the job site, it's really just, you know, some people describe it as a kit of parts or connecting Legos together. The manufacturer needs to know, hey, the structural engineer is telling me if I have this hole through the beam here, I need to reinforce around that hole with some screws, or I need to have this type of beam to column hanger detail done in the factory. So it does require some back and forth collaboration. I don't think it necessarily has to increase the duration of the design process. It's just that you've added one more player into that design process. The other benefit of working with a manufacturer early on is that your project has worked your way into their pipeline in terms of where you know, your project's pieces manufacturing fit in with, of course, that manufacturer is producing for other projects. One of the downsides of not selecting manufacturer early is let's say you get through the design process, you send out your drawings, you know, several manufacturers bid on it, you select one. Well, now they may already have three months or, or longer of a fabrication lined up. So you're kind of at the back of the line there. Whereas if you're working with them throughout the design process, they've basically been setting some time aside in the final fabrication piece. And you're really working through shop drawings with them as you go along throughout the design process. So by the time you finish drawings, they finish their model and they're starting to fabricate. So it seems like to really set up a, a mass timber project correctly, you know, this is something that seems to be different than maybe your concrete or your typical wood building is that you really need to get in touch and coordinate with the manufacturer, correct? Absolutely. Like early on and set up everything. And it's really, like you were saying, a prefabricated building, there's a lot of coordination that needs to go into the project before construction starts. Because like, I think what you said during construction, everything just goes up like Legos and there's not really too much that you can coordinate out in the field, or if you do, it's going to be a, a headache. Is there anything else that uh, structural engineers can do to set up the project for success besides just coordinating with the, the manufacturer? I think another important piece, and this really goes back, I know I'm hammering on this, but it's very important with Mass Timber, is the another piece of the collaborative design process is understanding how the building works from a fire performance perspective. And this is something that's foreign to a lot of structural engineers. I know personally for me, I mentioned, you know, I worked six and a half years as a practicing structural engineer, never did anything really with the fire rating of this assembly or element. What construction type is the building? Am I even allowed to use wood or steel or whatever the material is for this construction type? And I think that's very important for structural engineers to get some experience and understanding with construction types and fire resistance ratings and how the timber elements can meet those. The reason that all of this is important is because with mass timber, you're generally not covering the timber element, as I mentioned, which means that, that the timber is both the structure and the fire resistance rating. The fire resistance rating is inherent within that cross-section of wood. 
And the way that this happens is through as the large cross-section of wood is exposed to fire, it forms this char layer around the outside. And kind of the analogy is you've seen this happen at the campfire that you have in your backyard and you see, you know, you place the large log on after the fire gets going and it kind of forms this black scaly char layer on the outside. The same thing happens with mass timber elements as they're exposed to fire. That char is beneficial because it actually acts as an insulative layer so that everything inside of that char zone is at, a, at about ambient temperature. The reason that that's important is because it allows it to retain its structural integrity. From a structural engineering perspective, it, the onus, the, you know, the, really the task is on us to do a few calculations. They're pretty simple, but they're in chapter 16 of the NDS document, National Design Specification for Wood Construction, which is the reference code standard for wood design. So go to chapter 16 of that document, you'll find some fairly easy to follow calculations that you as a structural engineer would do. And basically it's, it's all based on a nominal char rate of an inch and a half thickness per hour of fire exposure. If you think about a glue lamb beam, that's there's a CLT panel on top of it, but the two sides and the, the bottom, so those three faces are exposed to fire potentially. You're basically saying after a one hour fire or a two hour fire, whatever the building code requires you to have for that element, how much of my timber is remaining and is that adequate structurally? Understanding construction types is also beneficial because it can help you know, is there one construction type that's more beneficial? Is there one that says, you know, zero hour rating versus one hour rating? Because those things obviously have an impact on the timber sizes, which obviously has an impact on cost. So the engineers can really help drive that conversation, I think, in terms of number one, finding the most efficient construction type, and then number two, running those calculations and designing for fire resistance of exposed timber elements. Ricky, how can an engineer use mass timber as a differentiation opportunity for their business development strategy? I think this is a great place for engineers really to shine. I think we've seen a lot of engineering firms and other trades as well use mass timber as a differentiator because at this point, it is still relatively new. Depending on which city you're in, you may be doing the first mass timber project there. I think you as the engineer have the opportunity to help drive not just a project go to mass timber, but to help drive business development because we're seeing a lot of engineering firms really set themselves apart in terms of creating like a, a mass timber sub team or, you know, a core team within their business development um, side of things that is just focused on doing mass timber. I mean, if a structural engineer is able to understand the whys that we talked about, the benefits, understand how to design a project efficiently using mass timber, understand those things like fire ratings we just talked about or acoustics and how all of those things work in a mass timber building. Then, you know, when you introduce the topic in a project meeting, you're able to answer the questions that will generally be asked because I can tell you from being in a lot of these project meetings, it's usually a lot of the same questions being asked. If a structural engineer has those answers and understands the material, and can provide that, that information when the client first asks those questions, then I think because again, it is relatively new, they've separated themselves apart. One of the unique things with Mass Timber, because it is new, obviously a future project is going to want to work with experienced people. So now let's say you've done one or two projects in your city or your state. The next developer or owner that comes along and says, I'm interested in doing a Mass Timber project, who else in this area has done one? Well, now you kind of have the leg up because you have that experience. You've marketed yourself as a master expert. 
And so it's very likely that you're going to have a shot at getting that next mass timber project. So it kind of starts this momentum where you're, you're doing more projects, getting more experienced, and really just helping build up that side of business development. I am kind of envisioning this could be very interesting. I attended a, I believe it was NCSA last year. One of the keynotes uh, had to do with the structural engineer taking the position as the prime on projects for building projects. And I'm curious, do you see this as kind of a, a foot in the door for structural engineers to leverage this material as an opportunity for them to become the prime? And is there an additional benefit if you're in a multidisciplinary firm where you maybe have architects and engineers that can own that entire scope of work from uh, conceptual architectural design to structural design? Or is this a better opportunity for our singular structural engineering firms? That's a really interesting question. I can't say that I have given that a ton of thought in the past, but a related aspect of that is one thing that we definitely have seen with mass timber and structural engineers is that there's a number of ways a structural engineer can get involved in a mass timber project. It doesn't just have to be, you know, you're the SER and you're going to stamp the drawings and you're going to do the design, but you're also going to design the foundations and, you know, all of the other things. That certainly can be done and has been done, but we've also seen some structural engineers who have mass timber experience be hired on to a project, not as the stamping engineer of record, but as like a sub-consultant who's just designing the mass timber structure, or even who's just designing the connections of mass timber elements to each other. Or in some cases, a structural engineer can be hired on as a sub-consultant to the manufacturer and kind of doing some background engineering checks and making sure that everything's lined up on the, in the uh, manufacturing side of things. I guess that would be the first thing is don't assume that you have to go in and do the full project. You certainly can, and probably in a lot of cases, it makes sense to do that. But there is opportunity for engineers to be hired on as other roles within a mass timber project. Firm that has multi-disciplines within it, I would say definitely that could be a leg up. But we've also seen you know, a number of projects where an architect from one firm and an engineer from another firm and a contractor, even from a third firm, kind of all three of those team up and do several projects together. Because again, experience builds on experience and seeing what one group of people has done in one place definitely helps on the next project. So I don't know that that we'll get to the point where mass timber projects tend to be driven or led by structural engineers, but I do absolutely think that engineers play a critical role and maybe just my opinion, more so on mass timber projects than in, in other traditional materials. Yeah, it definitely seems that, you know, from what you were saying, there are maybe some more different, more responsibilities and things that we have to think about as, as the structural engineer, like you were saying, with the, the fire rating and really the coordination and working with the manufacturer. So definitely a lot of parts for a mass timber project that structural engineers uh, can get into. My last question was, uh, what do you see the future trends for mass timber? I've been seeing some articles I even saw something in, in Milwaukee. I think it was like the a high-rise mass timber apartment tower. So things like that, those things are really exciting, uh, especially with the codes that you were mentioning too. Like, what do you see the, the future is for mass timber? You're right. I kind of alluded to it earlier. The, the building code is changing uh, very significantly. The next version of, of IBC, International Building Code, that will be published here very soon in the fall of 2020 uh, is the 2021 version of IBC. And with that, three new construction types are being introduced. 
And these will be types 4A, 4B, and 4C. So previously, when you're doing a mass timber project, the building code always has guidelines on how tall and how large a building can be. So previously, depending on the occupancy, you were kind of limited to five to six stories for a mass timber project. With these three new construction types, you'll be allowed up to nine, 12, or 18 stories of mass timber construction. And you know, there's some variances there in terms of what's the fire ratings of the timber elements, how much of the timber can be exposed. But in general, it is opening a lot of new doors that previously didn't exist. So the project you mentioned, Matt, in Milwaukee is a prime example of that. So this project is called Ascent and it's broken ground. It's under construction now. It is going to be, when completed, the world's tallest mass timber building. It's going to be just over 280 feet. It has 18 stories of mass timber construction over a multi-story concrete podium. So projects like that, there's another one under construction now in Cleveland that's called Intro. That's eight stories of mass timber construction over a one-story concrete podium. So I would say one of the trends with mass timber we're seeing is definitely going taller, going larger. And that's created, in some cases, an interest in doing what I would call hybrid systems, where it's not mass timber throughout. It's usually mass timber for the gravity system and for the diaphragms. But the vertical lateral force resisting system is usually something else. You know, both of those projects I just mentioned are uh, concrete cores and using those concrete cores as shear walls. There have been a number of projects that have done that. Some projects have done, you know, steel braced frames and some projects are doing CLT shear walls. There's been a lot of testing and research going on about CLT shear walls in the past. The, it looks like there are going to be some code changes coming up in the next version of several code reference standards that will recognize CLT shear walls. So it's exciting to also see, again, another tool in the tool belt for engineers, if you want to call it that, for another shear wall system. Timber braced frames is another example. You know, several projects have used glue lamb timber braced frames as an alternate to a steel braced frame system. So I think that those are kind of just tips of the iceberg. You know, some other examples, timber concrete composite, where you're a timber slab with a concrete slab poured on top and the two are tied together compositely so that when it goes into bending, the timber's in tension, the concrete is in compression and potentially get a much stiffer element there. There are a number of innovations that I expect to come online like that as we start to see more and more use of mass timber. Not being taught in classes, at least I don't think better anytime soon. So it's almost like a new building material that engineers can learn and that the industry is actually using in, in new and innovative ways, just like that timber apartment tower. So Ricky, thanks so much for coming on and just sharing about this. I know I've definitely learned a lot about this, even though you know I'm exposed to it, but just hearing from you and sharing it with our listeners too, it's really been great. How can our listeners connect with you if they want to have more, get more information on this? First thing is, is just go to our website, woodworks.org. We have a lot of information, resources. You can find my contact information there. Um, we have a team of regional directors throughout the country. And so there's somebody with Woodworks who's very close by to you from a locale perspective. So connect with them, reach out to them. And then personally, I also try to stay fairly active on LinkedIn. So you can just look me up, Ricky McLean, on LinkedIn and look forward to connecting with everybody that way. Awesome. We'll provide that in the links below. Ricky, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
Before we finish up here, I'd like to recognize our sponsors for this episode, Fluble Software. Fluble Software offers the most powerful yet user-friendly structural analysis and design software for today's structural engineer. With the general FEA program, our FEM, venture beyond basic box-type buildings into unique multi-material structures instead. A nonlinear FEA program is based on a modular concept so you can create a tailored and affordable package specific to your design projects. The add-on modules include the American, Canadian, and other international design standards for not only steel and concrete, but also aluminum, wood, cross-laminated timber, glass, tensile fabric, and cable form-finding, dynamics, stability, and much more. The direct interfaces with BIM programs, including Revit, Tecla Structures, and AutoCAD, allow for the time-saving bi-directional exchange of information with the RFEM. Also, Experience Lubel's recently released standalone program, R-Wind Simulation, which simulates wind flow on all structure types and geometries within a numerical wind tunnel. Integrate wind pressures back to the RFEM structure for a complete structural design. For more information, visit www.dlubal.com. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 38, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune into your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all your structural engineering endeavors. The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.